Hello and welcome to FinTech Impact. I'm your host, Jason Pereira. Today on the show, I have Jake McGraw, Insurance Business Development Representative for Sika AI. Sika is, believe it or not, a healthcare practitioner tool that has created a novel underwriting methodology for insurance companies. To understand what I mean by that, Jacob's taking tickets through the entire value proposition. And with that, here's my interview with Jacob. So Jacob McGraw, tell us about Sika AI. Happy to. Okay, so Sika.ai at its core is an API platform company that services dental support organizations, DSOs. Uh, just a quick rundown, they're basically these large firms that run huge numbers of practices and kind of run the day-to-day elements. So we get the data from those practices and we use that to underwrite life insurance applicants. So we have two main products that we use to do this. We have our indicators for pre-existing conditions. We have them for tobacco, kidney disease, hypertension, hyperlipidemia, et cetera, with the most important and powerful by far being our tobacco indicator, which has $40.95 in protective value per hit from exam one. And we have our mortality risk scores for life insurance underwriting. As opposed to the indicators, these are actually powered by procedure codes, uh, frequency of procedure codes per calendar year. And they use different dental procedures to kind of determine their statistical influence on mortality. We basically use that to underwrite applicants, to triage them and just put them in the respective bins. Excellent. So lots to unpack there, which we're going to come back to. But first, tell me about the history of Sika, uh, Sika.ai. I'm happy to. Really can't get into that without talking about the company's namesake, VJ Sika. He started the company back in 2004. So mm-hmm. what happened is his wife was and still is a practicing dentist, right? And she was just having a lot of difficulty running the day-to-day elements, scheduling, billing, just all this minutia that goes into running a business, running a practice that has nothing to do with what she wants to do, which is fixed teeth, right? So VJ, being a data science and AI expert, why don't I just automate this entire thing for him? So he did, and he continued to do that all throughout the US and Canada. So that's what we, that's basically who we service, our key uh, demographic DSOs. But what do we do? Sika at its core is an API platform company. We provide that key base for different DSOs, those are dental support organizations, to kind of integrate the PMSs or practice management systems of the different practices under their care so they can have them all in an overarching umbrella. Just to give you a practical example of what that looks like, say you were a DSO that had dozens, maybe hundreds of practices under your stewardship, right? And normally it would be a really difficult challenge to get an API to that really tracks all of that. There's not really an option that integrates with all of those different systems on the market. Zika is really unique in this regard because we are able to integrate with over 92% of these PMSs. All right. Yeah, so that's basic rundown of what we do and how we do it. Excellent. Okay. So to translate all this, end of the day, you're providing a tool to dental clinics, large and these large amalgamators of dental clinics, to basically do what it is they do. And but more importantly, you found a way to monetize their data with a market that really, really cares about this data, but didn't know that they cared. And that's the thing that's crazy is that this is I've seen a lot of alternative data sources for for underwriting of like credit and whatnot. You guys are doing mm-hmm. it in the life insurance and health insurance space, which is novel to say the least as far as I've seen. And I, when you first pitched this to me, I was well, I think my reaction was something akin to, huh. Mm-hmm. 
My goodness, that makes so much sense because here's the thing. Anyone who's been through a medical been through medical underwriting for insurance knows how it works, right? Most cases, there's definitely a questionnaire, right? And then there's, in addition to the questionnaire, there might be fluid tests, right? Uh, blood yeah. and urine. And then if it's, if you get into more advanced applications, then basically there's other tests potentially required as well. And the insurance company, I always say, the analogy everyone once heard was, imagine the underwriter is this person who lives in a dark room and all they get on the person is what gets slid under the door, which is the information we're giving them. It's an imperfect profile understanding of the client, especially a questionnaire, right? Because it's like, yeah. oh, do you smoke? Yeah, I smoke. Well, how many cigarettes per day? That's not asked by every company, right? Or maybe they, there's harsher cigarettes than non-harsher cigarettes, right? So the ability to actually like take this data from oral health practitioners is powerful because as I've heard from medical sources for many years, oral health is often the canary in the coal mine of other medical problems. So talk to me, I mean, you already mentioned the smoking, the, the smoking benefit and the risk scoring, right? So let's talk about mm -hmm. the smoking benefit first, right? So you're able to articulate that. I mean, smoking, we know is bad for you. It's like it's going to kill you faster. You said you're saving over $40 on average or something like that. Like, how does that work? All right, so that was basically in reference to a cost-benefit analysis done by exam one. It's basically showing that, okay, so a bit of context. It's basically been determined that throughout the course of a misclassified smoker's lifetime, the carrier will lose $23,000 over the course of that life. That's basically where that protective value is coming in. And like, I absolutely agree with you. Like, I feel like the main reason this data hasn't been integrated into the life insurance modeling is just because it hasn't been available anywhere like there's really no other source for data of this kind and like you were saying it's just such a key fit like an actuary at ahu actually put it in a great way you can kind of view data as like swiss cheese right like you use the cheese you kind of cover the space but there's holes right but the thing is you can keep putting on the layers you can keep putting on layers of cheese so to speak and with each new layer that holes are those holes are being reduced you get a more complete and holistic view of the kind of underwriting profile. And as you were saying, oral health is just such a key indicator. And what really makes it powerful is even when you, so you can be really young and take poor care of your teeth, but you can still turn it around very quickly. And it's actually true for like, no matter how far along in your oral healthcare journey you get, this is something that was kind of commented on in one of our actuaries who helped develop the model. But like, even if you're Someone who's like very old, takes very care, poor care of your teeth into old age. You can actually turn that around to a fairly substantial degree at any point if you just try to start taking care of your teeth. So yeah, I'm very excited about this product. I think it's highly predictive. And I think it's a really key void that's missing in life insurance. Excellent. Well, it is. I mean, a lot of it is... A lot of it is just taking someone's word for it. And it doesn't necessarily mean they're taking their word for it. At the end of the day, sometimes people just check the wrong box, right? Or mm -hmm. again, like I said, examples of harshness to smoking and all kinds of other impacts, right? Or frequency of it. So the fact that this is a known issue is, is you know, even if they discovered out the fact that, you know, you were a smoker and you were a smoker at the time you mm -hmm. applied and there was some sort of mistake or whatever it is, they still issue the policy, but they issue a reduced benefit, right? So that that's assuming they catch it. If they don't catch it, then they're issuing it the full benefit and the insurance company is taking a hit. So that's pretty substantial. Definitely, definitely. And I mean, smoking has just become such a huge problem. There was a recent exam, one study that kind of determined that smoking non-disclosure has risen to 30% just as of 2022. And that was for people who actually knew the cotinine test was coming. I can only imagine it 
I mean, honestly, think about it. Like there's a, there's a disincentive to tell the truth on this because it's going to cost you more. So automatically people, there's a incentives. If incentives don't align to truth, you're not going to get truth all the time. That's the first thing, right? Then you get the second yeah. problem of, of mistakes, right? Like, you know, having, you know, there used to be what was actually was more common in field underwriting, which is just applica- applications being done was cheek swabs, right? Mm-hmm. It was to be that we had to take a swab and, and swab someone's cheek and that would confirm if they were smokers or not. So oral health testing used to be part of it and they got rid of it probably because of cost benefit analysis. You know, at some point it was just costing too much versus the actual number of people they were ca- catching lying, but this doesn't solve the problem entirely. So it is a big problem. Let's, so yeah, the disincentive exists there. And also, I mean, like, I think I hate to say it, but unfortunately a lot of these guaranteed standard issue insurance companies have made people terrified of being rejected for life insurance, which is just, the number of times that I do an application, like, oh, but do I have to do a medical test? I'm like, why are you afraid of the medical test? Well, I might get rejected. I'm like, and then how is your life different, right? Yeah. Other than the fact, you know, something's wrong. And if you don't know something's wrong now, like, this is a good thing. Like, the number of times we caught that, I've, I've literally had things caught in an insurance underwriting application that ended up being the thing that they found the bad thing. And then that person got treated and survived. You know, there's several cases like that. So, I think the problem is, is that we created this negative stigma around insurance rejection and insurance and insurance underwriting. Everybody wants to, everyone wants to put their best face on when they're applying for insurance now. And unfortunately, the incentives for nefarious agents are to also stack, you know, to, to pad those stats. So let's talk about the risk model. Tell me about how the risk model comes together, you know, data points that, that play in and what you're, what is you're looking for? All right. So the risk score is actually something I'm very fascinated in and just passionate about being, having a background in data. So. All right, so I just want to premise this by saying that for a Canadian marketplace, the LICA, which is the life expectancy at current age model, and the periodontal disease to mortality score model, they don't exactly apply to a Canadian marketplace. So we basically built this score using the American Social Security Master Death Index, which is a death index that is available for purchase for uh, private research or just development purposes. And because we were lacking that data in the Canadian marketplace, we can't really build the score to a fully complete area where we would like it to be. We have noticed you, this is a global show, so yeah, Canada, <clears throat> Canada, we can do it in the US. That's that's still good news. So <laughs> awesome, but yeah. In terms of the score, is actually very very fascinating. So the main use case and real power that it comes from is differentiating risk within different pre-existing conditions. So I'll give you a practical example. Let's say diabetes. If you had two diabetics, right, one with a prohibitively high LICA score and one with a prohibitively low LICA score, you might decide to price the person with a prohibitively high LICA score a little bit less generously. Or maybe if someone would be priced out of a product completely if they had diabetes, you could price them in reasonably if they had like a sufficiently low LICA score. And something that's very interesting is that we did a good amount of stress testing for different pre-existing conditions. And we found that what's going on is quite uniquely dental. Even though it is determining mortality risk and it does appear to be doing it very well, there is something inherently dental that isn't being influenced by all these confounding variables, so to speak. Fair enough. So, I mean, this becomes a interesting data and input for the underwriters. Because like I said, in a lot of ways, oral health is, is a precursor to other conditions. I mean, there's, there's a known connection between oral and cardiac health as well, right? So, and a lot of what's just going on in our body, I mean, we breathe out of our mouths, right? So a lot of it gets, gets picked up. So this this becomes a unique kind of canary in the coal mine indicator that they didn't have access to before. 
and that they're basically consenting to getting this stuff, but they're not getting any kind of invasive testing in order to prove this. So first off, let's talk about what the reaction of the insurance companies has been to this data. Like, what are they saying about it? Well, no one really has anything negative to say. Basically, mm-hmm. all of all the carriers we talk to are excited to a certain extent. No one ever really says no. What they say is not right now. So we're kind of in the phase where we're basically trying to get as much industry backing as possible to kind of get our name out there. A big step recently is we're in production with Exam One with several carriers, and we're you know, we're on the Health Picture platform. Our data is, and we there actually talks about bringing that platform to Canada as well, which we're very excited about. Yeah, so there it is difficult to get carriers to kind of onboard to new data sources, even if it's something that makes just total intuitive sense, like dental, right? Like they want to do a lot of- The industry is not known for change, right? Like let's be frank, especially technological change, but continue. Very, very true. We're we're very well-versed in that issue. Yeah, just they're very resistant. They want to do a lot of testing to make sure things are fair from a regulatory perspective. There's also a lot of kind of, there's a lot of hesitation with adopting kind of new, fancier, like neural networks, large uh, neural networks on different insurance problems. It's been adopted in some like uh, East Asian Pacific Island countries, but not so much over here. But in fairness, I mean, this is is a common thing that happens in technology is that a lot of developing countries will have technology adoption of certain really kind of cutting edge stuff that we don't have here. And in part, the reason for that is quite simply that they are starting from that point, right? In technology, a lot of times, your starting point to t- determines your willingness for, for, for t- the cutting edge. And more often than not, when you're starting, you have the cutting edge. But eventually, that becomes stagnant. And odds are, you what was cutting what was a cutting edge company at one point, a country at one point, becomes seen as stagnant in the future. This is why there were signatures on credit cards for so long in the U.S. That is a very good point. So you're, you're encountering momentum issues, no surprise. You're also encountering the, you know, let someone else go first and prove that this isn't screwing me up, uh, you know, is another issue. But again, it's one of these things where a non-invasive set of data that already exists being delivered to them. I mean, realistically, there's, a, there's an argument for this reducing the number of tests they have to run on blood, for example. Oh, absolutely. The kind of facilitation of, I should have mentioned this before if I didn't mention it up until now, my apologies, but... Being an API platform company, like a technology company, we have the ability to deliver this practically in real time. That's mm-hmm. kind of that's the main draw and like the main kind of avenue where we really kind of can really facilitate this automated and accelerated underwriting workflow, right? Like the data is powerful and predictive, but it's the main power is kind of foregoing those pyramid tests and those lab results, right? Because that saves a lot of time and effort on the underwriters part as well. It does. So I'm curious, is there any kind of data or any kind of support yet to show, like, how do you compare, say, to a fluid test in terms of your ability to determine factors? Or like, is there, is there, it's, I mean, clearly this is probably complementary, but like, where is it that you're potentially superior versus inferior? And and how does this, and, and basically, is there a day where this could replace another type of test? Mm. So in terms of like, for instance, a cotinine test, the, the advantage is definitely speed. The main service we offer is basically foregoing these more expensive, more invasive tests and kind of facilitating that automated and accelerated workflow. So that's really the main use case for our data. And I mean, in terms of, so from what I've heard in the different webinars and- I was gonna say, I mean, you actually, you know, cause you're real time and all this other stuff, you, you prove as an effective screen. Someone can submit an application 
right? And boom, that data comes in. It tells you instead of bothering to order the blood test, maybe you're cutting it off right there. Exactly. That, that's the real power. And like, because this is really a new, something very interesting is that because people visit their dentist so frequently, like in relation to their doctor, and because like for smoking, for instance, like really impacts the course of treatment, people are very, very likely to be truthful for their dentists. Not as if they're likely to be untruthful for other medical professionals, but there's more of an incentive to give the dentist as much information as they as they can get, right? Because there's no negative incentive of underwriting, right? Or your rejection. They're just trying to get help. Exactly. Yeah. And in terms of getting to a point where we don't need paramedics entirely, I don't think exam one, our partners would like that, but we would definitely love to get there. And it's it's a bit it's a bit of a toss-up. I would say for some life insurance products, especially the more expensive ones, manual underwriting in those paramedics will probably continue to be a mainstay. But for everything else, like from what I've heard from different uh, thought leaders from conferences, I think we're rapidly converging to that point where it's most, if not all, electronic real-time data sources. Excellent. So let's talk about your API and real-time data sources. So what's interesting about this is this also must be a little bit new and novel to the insurance companies because they're not used to real-time anything. So tell me how, I mean, obviously for the rest of us who understand this, like being able to get it, application comes in, that person's identity is pinged, that information comes back and it's done as it's updated, like is usually powerful. Talk to me about the insurance companies and, and their, I mean, maybe not willingness to adopt it, but like what is this kind of new paradigm of, of real-time data looking like for them? Are they willing to embrace it or are they resistant or are they concerned? Well, they're resistant as always. So in terms of like a piloting, we're mainly in the piloting and testing phase. It's just kind of using it in an ad hoc sense, in a pilot sense, just kind of. And in this phase, it's a lot of carriers are using it in a supplemental kind of way to kind of validate their pre-existing lab results or whatnot. So. The adoption is getting stronger. We we have 20 retrospective studies with one of those being done in Canada, kind of validating our data. So we're working hard to get all the validation we can, all the industry backing we can. And yeah, we're working on getting a, light, a white paper uh, in place for our leak and mortality score as well. So very excited about that. And yeah, just really excited in general about where the industry is going. Excellent. So... All right. So this is where you are currently with the data set. I mean, do what are the people, what are the engineers, what are your data guy? How much further do you foresee this going? I mean, you've got a score, you got a, you got a, you got a smoking rating. The question becomes like, is what else can you mine or glean from this information that you've thought about or, or are working on? That is a very interesting question. I would definitely like to expand into more types of insurance. I think health insurance is definitely a key kind of market I'd like to break into. Mm-hmm. It takes a lot of time and effort to kind of really scrape through data and determine possible use cases. Like, it's one thing to, it's hard enough to just think of something to do with a big data set as someone with a data and statistics background, but then trying to think of something useful to do with the data, something that some, like a company would actually want to buy, something, a viable product, that's much more difficult. I mean, we are a very innovative company. Something that's awesome is BJ is very open to uh, trying new things, research and development. We're definitely looking into different ways to kind of leverage our data. One really cool thing we've actually been doing is we made 
a chat GPT kind of lookalike or a doppelganger, so to speak, basically kind of specific to our website that, yeah, basically like a chat GPT, answer basic question. Who is Seiko? What do you do? What can you do for me? Okay. Yeah, we're, we're working on it. It's difficult though. Data is messy. I would, I would think so. I mean, like at the end of the, you know, when you think about it, the reality is that, I mean, you have data in a silo. So the question becomes, where is it? Where is it valuable? And then you need some other data point or other resulting data point to basically say, okay, this data gives us a signal on this other thing. And then, you know, it's so in a lot of ways, you can't even point, you know, you can't even just turn a machine learning algorithm at it and say, you know, find the correlations that lead to X because you don't know what X is. In fact, you don't even know if what you have would lead to X at this point. So it's quite, I mean, like the, you took the obvious use case. I mean, the most obvious use case when, when you stop and think about it, I never thought about it, but man, you know, I'm glad you guys think it's interesting. But yeah, I can see how that that would be a challenge. Like, and it's you're sitting on a treasure trove of data. The mm-hmm. question is, how is it actioned? Exactly. I think we've I think we've done a pretty good job so far. Like, I'm really excited about our tobacco indicator specifically. I think that has the power to become like a real industry mainstay. Well, no. I mean, it could if it at a reasonable cost could mm-hmm. bring back the days of the of the cheek swab without the cost of the cheek swab or the imposition of it all. Right. Cause I still remember back in the day, you had to have these saliva kits that you had to mail off to the clinic. And it was just, and every company had their own separate barcodes. You had to have them for different barcodes. It was, it was a pain. Right. There's no wonder they did a railway with it. Cause I think it was one of the top things people complained about having to do. But oh, definitely. Completely uninvasive, uh, consent based, of course. But yeah, definitely it could, it could get rid of a problem that pre existed, no pun intended. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. So, Excellent. So there's three questions I ask people before we wrap up the wrap up the podcast, just end on a positive note. The first one is, is if you had one wish for something to change in your company or the industry as a whole, what would it be? Hmm. If I could wave a magic wand, I would want to get I want to get a white paper in place for our Leka score so we can really have that industry backing. It's in the works, so we're working on it. But if I could wave a magic wand and get that happening right now, that would be great. I would love to get the Sika brand out there more. I think I think the main kind of issue or blockage with us is just the lack of visibility, like just not enough kind of eyes on Sika and what we're doing. Excellent. Second piece is what's been the biggest challenging in a company where it is today? Mm. So in terms of the insurance business, I would say it's definitely been getting to that point where we have that industry backing. I was kind of fortunate enough to come into a place where we're still searching, but we are in a much better place than we were a couple of years ago. We have a couple of white papers in place. We have the exam one backing. We have a large number of retro studies, 20 retro studies with one in Canada that, yeah, definitely just kind of getting that traction to really start moving. Excellent. And then last question I have for you is what excites you about it? What is your working on? It keeps you getting up in the morning to keep on fighting the good fight of uh, not quite the startup world, but the uh, <laughs> basically teaching the insurance world anything new is always a... Yeah. I would just say definitely just faith in the product. Like... I truly believe that the tobacco indicator specifically is just so powerful. So just has so much potential value to like really kind of facilitate that automated and accelerated underwriting. And like it fills such a key void, like smoking use particularly. There's like this is really the only data source at all that even comes close to really tackling this tobacco issue. So yeah, just kind of basically the belief that we will kind of get going because we have something truly valuable, I believe. Excellent. Thank you so much for taking the time today, Jacob. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Pleasure. So that was Jacob McGraw of CKAI. Hope you enjoyed that and hope you found the uh, novel use of 
data from your dentist, which I never would have thought of, but man, what a treasure trove for insurance. Um, hope you enjoyed the, the interesting use case for that. As always, if you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. Until next time, take care. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, or find more episodes at jasonperera.ca.